Can you feel it in your chest? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How many of y'all love roller coasters? Yeah, good, good. How many of you aren't so sure if you love roller coasters? Yeah. How many of you guys would say that that video describes perfectly what the last few weeks and days leading up to Christmas was like in your family? (laughs) Yeah, right? You know, there's so much wrapped up in Christmas. You know, all the work, all the excitement, all the good stuff, all the Hallmark movies, but also all the tension and all of the work and all of the preparation and all the things there are to do and all of the uh, expectations both spoken and unspoken that need to be lived up to. So by the time Christmas finally arrives, it's either exactly what we hope for and then it's over too soon or it's nothing like we hope for and it's to be endured and finally finished and we try to forget about it. But either way, it's like that climb up the roller coaster. Whether you're celebrating and enjoying and trying to savor every moment or you're just trying to keep the the CNN watchers in your family away from the Fox News watchers in your family, whatever you're trying to do, just get through the meal so we can make it to the new year. There's excitement, there's tension, there's pressure. Wouldn't it be great... Wouldn't it be great if, just like in this video, just before that crazy ride rolls down the other side and begins an even more terrifying ride around the roller coaster of life that starts on New Year's Day, we could push pause. What if God gave us an opportunity just just to catch our breath, just to kind of rethink things, recharge a little bit, slow down, maybe plan a little bit? Well, I think that's exactly what this week is. This little week that God's given us in the rhythm of life between the crazy Christmas weeks and and the craziness that begins in just a few short hours. God gives us this week. At least that's how it is in our family. We, 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 We rest, we recuperate, we rejuvenate, we recharge, but also our minds begin to think and our and our prayers and our vision and our focus begins to turn towards a new year so that we can think it through, pray it through, talk it through, plan it through so that we are ready to start as best as we can in our abilities on January 1st. That's exactly what I want to do with you today. Now, Pastor Dave, first of all, he sends his greetings. He's not here. He's with his family, recharging and recuperating like the rest of us. That and the fact that we thought it would not be appropriate to have a Georgia Bulldog in the pulpit on this Sunday. (laughs) It is great to be a Florida Gator. Waited 30 years for that. <laughs> so anyway, so, so we're going we're gonna to take this time uh, just to, to pray it through and think it through, not, not, not getting ahead of ourselves. Pastor Dave has really, he was telling me about it, an awesome sermon series coming up in January, looking to future things, what God's going to do in 2019. But I, my, my job and the, the, the Bible passage we're going to read today will be preparing us for that, to place us and position us for that which is coming in 2019, to use these last few hours of 2018 that we have to prepare our hearts, prepare our spirits, prepare our families, prepare our church for what we believe God is going to be doing, because we believe, church, that God is going to do greater things in 2019. So if you have your Bible, and I know you do, go ahead and turn it on or open it up or however you do it. The warm glow of the Holy Spirit illuminating the faces of the parishioners. Every pastor loves it. So John chapter 14, I believe it'll appear on our screens. 
John chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse number 1, read through verse 12. Let me give you a little backstory on this real quick. First of all, what we're going to talk about today is, when you find it, go ahead and put your finger in it, we're going to read it in just a second. Uh, uh, first of all, what we're going to do, we're going to do like an overarching theme of, of the whole passage, kind of looking at it from 30,000 feet. And then once we've done that, we're going to look a little bit at the backstory, you know, where this kind of came from. And then we're going to dig into to what I believe is, is what God wants to tell us today, kind of the three phases of the Christian life, what it looks like and where we need to be, where we need to position ourselves somewhat physically, but more emotionally and spiritually, to be able to see and experience these greater things that God wants to do. So uh, let me give you the backstory, and then we'll dig right into the passage. Okay, we're in John chapter 14. If you remember, there are uh, four Gospels of the New Testament. Gospel is the good news of Jesus, where, where different guys that hung out with Jesus or knew about Jesus or, or lived near Jesus can I tell his story. That is the good news. So we have the Gospel of Matthew, good, Mark, and now John. Okay, so John's giving his spin on it. I remember John was the younger one, kind of like the little brother of Jesus. Uh, you know how the little brothers are, the youngest in the family. He kind of names himself the beloved disciple. You know, that's pretty typical of, of youngest children. So, so he, he's really into all the experiences with Jesus, the love. He uses the word love more than any of the other disciples put together. So he's a real touchy-feely kind of disciple. So he's really into what the disciples were kind of feeling and what Jesus was feeling as he said things. So, so get into the picture here. We're in chapter 14. The guys have been with Jesus for almost three years. I mean, like, like, like with him, morning, noon, and night with him. They've seen him. They've experienced him. They've sm smelled him. I mean, they've been with him for three years. He's getting now to the end. Now, Jesus was laser-focused, okay? He knew exactly what his father was asking him to do and why he was here on earth. So, so he is going towards the goal, and nothing and no one is going to stop him from that goal. So it's getting to the point where he needs to start sharing with the guys what's coming. And bit by bit, he's throwing out these little tidbits of information like, you know, guys, I'm not going to be here with you forever. You know, guys, one day I'm going to have to return to my father. You know, guys, one day you're going to have to kind of take over the reins because I'm returning to heaven. You can imagine what this did to these guys. Of course, John, being the, the real touchy-feely disciple, he's, he's writing about what they were feeling, what they were sensing, how they were responding to this incredibly bad news. I mean, picture it. These guys have been together for three years. They've done everything together. This was breaking their hearts. I mean, anytime a band breaks up, there's tears, and, and there were great tears between these guys. Jesus not only gave them guys a job, he gave them a purpose for living. I mean, these guys, okay, they were pretty religious before, but they weren't professional religious guys. Jesus, when, when Jesus called them into his inner circle, you know, his little band of brothers, these guys had a purpose for living. Everything depended on Jesus. And now he's saying he's not going to be there anymore? But not only that, I think they were distraught, disillusioned, maybe, maybe even a little bit angry. I mean, these guys, they had, they had placed all their cards on the table. They had, they had been all in with Jesus. They had left family, friends, job, everything to be with him. And they had plans. I mean, they'd read the Old, script, Old Testament scriptures. They knew what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to come be a king. So these guys are thinking, well, if he's the king, I'm going to be as close to him as I can. I'm going to get some of the crumbs from the kingly table. I may even be somebody one day. I'm nothing back home, but with Jesus, I am somebody. 
And apparently, Jesus is now saying, I'm out. Those plans have been dashed. They've just had the Passover meal. You remember that in the upper room where Jesus kind of shares a little bit more of his leaving? Where Jesus, supposedly the great conqueror king, gets down on a knee and begins washing their feet as the servant leader that he was? Jesus calls out Judas right in front of everybody. Judas sneaks out the back door. And then even Peter, kind of their their go-to leader of the crowd, he's trying to give a little pushback on this whole, I'm leaving, I'm returning to the Father thing from Jesus. And Jesus even calls out Peter in front of everybody. Right in that point is where this passage comes. Let me read it to you. Jesus talking back to the guys right after all that happened. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that ain't happening. Anyone remember what is the, the number one command in the whole Bible? It's given more times than any other command ever found. I think I heard it. Do not be afraid. Remember? The, the, the angels gave it. God gave it over and over again. The Old Testament, even the New Testament, we hear this. Do not be afraid. Well, if you're like a shepherd in the middle of the desert, uh, middle of the, the field, and the, and the angels appear, and, and the first word out of their mouth is, do not be afraid, you're like, yeah, right, I'm scared to death. Jesus kind of pulls the same thing. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And... If I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, Thomas, you will know my Father as well. For from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Here it comes, Jesus says. Philip, don't you know me? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Philip, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works, the miracles, the teaching themselves. And here it is, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. All right, this is huge. 
In this one passage, we have, of course, the comfort from Jesus for the guys because, you know, he's picking up on this as well. He's been with them for three years. He knows exactly who's going to even pipe up. And we kind of blame Thomas and Philip for those crazy questions. But really, um, they were just saying what everyone else was thinking. So, you know, let's not be too hard on them, if anything, on all the guys. But anyway, so, so Jesus is encouraging them, but he's, he's trying to fill them with as much teaching, as much information, as much encouragement as he can, because he knows the days are coming when that's all they're going to have. He pulls back, and the Holy Spirit comes. So, as he's doing this, there, there's a few things that we need to look at for the overarching, and then we're going to dig into what I think God is teaching us for today. First of all, we have that whole story about the, the heavenly rooms. If you have an old-fashioned Bible, like the King James, it might say, uh, in heaven are many mansions. Well, the actual word here is there's many rooms, because Jesus and God, they want to have us as close to him as possible. You know, Jesus is like, don't worry, guys. I got your room. It's right down the hall from mine. We'll be together. For all eternity. Can you imagine what that means? Not mansions. Okay, your mansion's over there. Your mansion's down the road. My mansion's back here with a big old barrier. No, we're in the same house. Just one knock on one door and you're right in with me. And the next Jesus goes on to talk about himself being the way, the truth, and the life. About the most politically incorrect statement you can find in the Bible. I love it. Because you know where he stands. 2,000 years ago and today. And then this little bit about greater things. Uh, you probably didn't realize it, but there's a couple Greek words in this one verse that you already know. The first words are verily, verily, or truly, truly. I don't know what kind of translation you have. And it's actually the same word in Greek twice. It's the word amen. You all know that word, right? Who knew? You knew some Greek already. Well, if you say amen at the end of a sentence in the Bible, it means so be it. Or, 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 or yes, may God, may God do that. But if you find that word at the beginning of a passage, it means alert, attention. What is about to come is pivotally important for your life. Okay? So that's what the word means when you find it at the beginning of a verse. It means alert, attention. What is about to come is pivotally important for your life. And here we read the word not once but twice. So what do you think? <laughs> this must be really important. Jesus is saying, you're not only going to do the things I'm doing now, you're going to do greater things. And here's the second word I think you already know. The word for great in Greek is the word mega. Right? We already know. See, look, at you guys are like halfway there. You're like almost fluent in Greek already. You know, amen, you know, mega. You guys could be scholars. So mega means mega bite, mega burger, mega mall, mega big, huge, humongous. The biggest you can imagine. But actually, that's not the word here. The word here is not big, great, humongous. The word is bigger, than, greater than. It's a comparison word. So what is Jesus comparing? Jesus is literally saying, you will do the works I'm doing now. And, important word, you will do even mega-er things than that. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that could be. I mean, I know what Jesus did. You know what, you read the stories. Raising people from the dead, feeding thousands, preaching to hundreds and even thousands of people, bringing back people out of sickness and darkness and, and demon oppression, all of those things he did. And Jesus is saying, and get this, guys, in 2019, you will do even greater things than this. Before we define that, let's get all the way to the end. Let's see if Jesus helps us with that one. 
All right, now here we're going to dig in. I think God's going to show us these three phases to what's going on here. I'm going to give you guys a little Bible study tidbit. I think we've even talked about this in the past when I've been here. When I read the Bible, I look for things that kind of go together, things that kind of jump out of the page. And this is a good little Bible study tool for you as well. When you're reading through a text, when you're reading through a Bible story, if you find a word, guess what? It's important. It's God's word. Words in the Bible are important. But imagine you find that same word, not once, but twice. Here, like the word amen. Remember, we just said we found it once and then twice, right after another. So apparently that's pretty, pretty important. Imagine you find the same word, Or the same idea two, three, four, even five times together in one word, in one verse, or in one little passage. That must be really, really, really important. All right, let's see if our folks can help us. They're going to throw up the same text we just read, the same text we just read, but they're going to throw it up on the screen, pulling out the words. There we go. Well, we can almost see it. There you go. All right, good. It's kind of far away. I know it's kind of far away. Any chance some of you guys can help me? There's three words that we see popping up. Three, four, even five times. What are those three words? Know, see, and believe. Know to know, knowing. See to see or seeing. And then believe to believe or believing. Three times, excuse me, three words that just jump out. Three, four, even five times out of the scripture. What do you think, folks? (laughs) You think this is really, really, really important for us to get? Here's what I want you to walk out with today. I believe God is teaching us here some, some, some really deep truth in some stories that by themselves are more than enough to fill up hours of sermon time. I believe God is through these passages, through these stories, teaching us some things that are super deep for you and for me for 2019. I believe God is showing us here three different phases of the Christian walk. Three different places where we can find ourselves as we are maturing in Christ and getting to a place, getting to a place of belief where we can see God do greater, even greater things than we saw in the, Old, in the New Testament in the life of Jesus. So let's see if we can dig through it. Let's start with knowing. Knowing is the first one. We want to start in the phase of knowing. In the phase of knowing, there is some investment involved, but there is low risk involved. The word for know or to know in, in, in all of these passages mean, means quite literally to, to learn by studying, to learn by reading the Bible, learn by studying a book, learn by or to know because you've learned it in a classroom. Maybe you've mimicked someone that does something well, and you've kind of attached yourself maybe as an apprentice. You just kind of hung out with them, and you've observed, you've watched how they do it, and you've learned, and now you know how to do what they do. That's, that's this meaning of know, not like instinct. Oh, I know that by instinct. I've always known how to do that. I, I grew up with that, or it's in my blood. No, no. This is something you put yourself to. You've studied. You've invested a little. And now you know it, okay? That's, that's what this word means. Kind of like uh, a buddy of mine, he actually is my neighbor, he wants to be a pilot of a, of a little plane. So he's my crazy neighbor. <laughs> he, uh, he's a smart guy, though. He's a doctor, so he, he learns real quickly. He, he bought all the books, and he started studying the books, and then he went down to the airport, and he signed up with a, 
with a flight instructor, and, and he was all excited. You know, I saw him a little bit later, and, you know, he'd read all the books. He'd watched all the YouTube videos, so he pretty much knew how to fly. And, and, and he gets in his first class, and, you, you know, he's, he's loving every minute of it, except the part where the, you know, instructor said, don't touch anything. He didn't love that part so much, but, but you know, he keeps going. You know, I see him a little bit later, and, okay, now he's finally allowed to touch everything, and he knows what all the switches do, but he already knew that. He studied that before, but now he's allowed to touch everything. He's allowed to hold on to the, what do they call it, steering wheel? He's holding on to the steering wheel, and, you know, he pulls back, and the house gets smaller. He pushes it forward, the house gets bigger. You know, he's kind of getting the hang of things. And I, I see him a little bit later, and, and I said, how's it going? He said, well, I don't know. He said, I, I'm not allowed. Allowed to fly by myself. The instructor's always there. I know what everything is. I, I read all the books. I watched all the videos. I played with all the buttons. I know, I know how to do everything. But he said, I'm not a real pilot until I fly solo. Huh. Not a real pilot until you fly solo. There's an aspect to knowing. There's an aspect to know something that involves stepping out and using the information, the knowledge, the learning that you have in your head. You need to fly solo. Let's think about these, uh, these guys, this band of brothers that were around Jesus. Remember what I said? They were with him for about three years, roughly three years together. Now, when I say together, I mean together. They ate all their meals together. They walked together. They traveled together together whether they were sleeping on one of those rooftop houses or maybe under an olive tree. I mean, they were together for three years. They had all the face time anyone could have ever hoped to have with Jesus. I mean, let's say, I don't know, roughly 10 hours a day they had. So 10 hours a day, that's uh, 70 hours a week. Uh, a month, what is that? That's almost 300 hours a month. A year, What's that, like 3,500 roughly hours a year? In three years, okay, more or less, it's over 10,000 hours of FaceTime with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the greatest man, teacher, rabbi that ever lived. 10,000 hours FaceTime. They still got it wrong. Did you, read, did you hear the story? 10,000 hours. How much more can you learn? How much more can you know? How much more can you see? And they still got it wrong. Philip, Thomas, I don't want to pick on them because I truly believe they were just speaking out loud what all the other guys were thinking. 10,000 hours of FaceTime, and they still didn't get it right. What does that say to you and me? There are these phases of the Christian life, and I believe God is trying to move us to a phase where we believe so much in him, trust so much in him that we will see these greater things. But I think a lot of us are still stuck back in this knowing stage. We know a lot. In fact, there's someone here today, well, besides my mom. My mom's here today, so be nice to me. But besides my mom, there's someone here who, uh, who I've known my whole life, who's known me my whole life, Central Baptist Church, where I started out in the baby role. Two weeks old, I was there. Haven't missed a Sunday yet. Well, yeah, a few you know, so, so we know so much. Some of, some of you are like me. You've grown up in the church. There's really not much more you could know. But we're stuck there. We have not flown solo yet. We have not taken that which we know and lived it out, expressed our faith, shared our faith, lived out our faith. And because of that, the danger is that we could slip into phase number two. 
Now, the second phase, it's, it looks like, okay, we're, we're progressing to where we need to be, but actually, it's, it's the opposite. If we remain that phase number one of just knowing, the danger is we slip back into phase number two, which is just seeing. What does the word seeing mean? Well, the Greek word for seeing that we see over and over and over again here is, is really low involvement and low risk. If we never step out in faith, if we never fly solo, if we never live out our faith, if we never trust God for what we're going to say, what we're going to do, how we're going to pay for something, and we continue to trust only in ourselves, we remain knowers and we could slip into the seers only. This word seeing means really more than seeing. It means observing. We become observers. We become watchers. We sit down in our chair careful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke a little bit here. We sit down in our pew, and we learn how to observe. And we're pretty good at observing. And we're watching all the time, the show. And some Sundays is better than others. Some Sundays we stay awake more than others. But it's really just a show. It's all exciting up there, but not much of it gets back to where I'm sitting for the show, where I'm watching where I'm observing, where I'm waiting for that moment when I may get up and live out what I'm hearing. I mean, there was a time when we believed. There was a time when we heard. There's a time when the music touched our hearts. There's a time when the pastor and his words could break into our hearts and, and, and get us almost to stand up and do something about what we're hearing, about what we're seeing. But with time those opportunities become fewer and fewer. We become spiritual couch potatoes. We just never get up. We just never move out. We just never step out in faith. We just watch. And we observe. And we look. And we wait. But folks, there's one final phase that I believe God wants us to move through. Whether we're still stuck in the knowing stage or whether we've slidden back into the seeing and the seeing only stage, it is a believing stage. Over and over and over again, Jesus talks about believe, believe, belief, belief, believe in me, believe in my works, believe in your Father. What does believe mean? It means to trust or to wholly depend upon. In this final stage, it is high involvement. It is high risk. I don't know if you remember reading any books by Corey Tinboom. She lived through the Holocaust in Germany and, and wrote a number of incredible Christian books. She's famous for saying, the greatest distance in the universe is the distance from our head to our hearts. The greatest distance in the universe is the distance from our head to our hearts. What does she mean? We have so much knowledge. We know how to do it. We've watched and we've observed and we've looked and we've gotten those couch potato spiritual butts and we have not gotten up out of our seats until God says, trust in me, believe in me. I will do it through you. And that takes a lot of movement from our head to our heart. All of that information, all of that knowledge has to slide down into what we believe. A couple of years ago, something happened that rocked my little world. Uh, I'm a missionary, and so I travel quite a bit, and I get on airplanes and 
even as a kid, mom and dad, they took us all around. And my wife, she loves to travel. We've, we've just always traveled all around the world. Dozens and dozens of countries we've been to. Every corner of the world, either for work, for ministry, or just for pleasure. We enjoy that. There was no uh, safer, more enjoyable place for me in the whole world than to, to sit down in my little airplane seat back in economy, of course. I'm a missionary. <laughs> Fold it back and just, just rest and relax. I loved flying. Until I didn't. Right around 40, hint, hint, spoiler alert, around 40, suddenly those bumps and that turbulence didn't feel quite as comfortable as it used to. It used to rock me to sleep. It used to help me be able to relax. Suddenly, it did not help me to relax, and it made me quite nervous. Tension, anxiety grew. Each flight was harder than the one before. Until finally, I thought I, thought I was going to have a panic attack. Of course, being a man, I did nothing about it. I, <laughs> I searched the internet in peace and quiet where no one would know that I had a problem and found really not much that could help me until I finally got to a point where I was so desperate, I was willing to talk to my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law, he's an old Navy guy, and he flies airplanes for American Airlines. And he's a man of few words, kind of the last guy you would go to if you're having a personal, emotional problem. But I was so desperate, I was like, I'll, I'll even talk to him. So I kind of grabbed him aside at one of the family reunions or something we were at. I said, hey, I've got this problem in my life. What do you think? What's going on? And he thought about it for a second. He said, Dave... Would it change anything if I let you come up front and fly the airplane with me? <laughs> I thought, what a funny question. Then I thought about it for a second. And I said, actually, yeah. I think that would help a lot. He said, well, there's your problem. You're not afraid of flying. You're afraid of losing control. Oh. Guys, can I get an Amen. Apparently, women have, uh, what's it called when they, oh, gee whiz, I forgot the word. Good thing I'm not a woman. Uh, menopause, women have menopause, thanks, see? I guess old men have uh, Alzheimer's. Women have menopause, and, and old guys, we, uh, we, we have this fear of losing control. Well, that and, and hair coming out of our ears, but that's another story. So, so I was having a deal for the first time in my life with fear of, of losing control. I'd always been in control. I mean, I knew how to do things. I studied. I learned. I knew things. I didn't just observe. I was in the middle of stuff. I was in control. But God was moving even me, <laughs> a missionary, to a point of losing control. And he pried my tight-fisted little hands wide open. He said, David, you don't control nothing. You know, God will talk that way sometimes, doesn't he? You don't control nothing. You leave those hands open. If you want to see me do things, greater things than ever before, you leave those hands wide open. That's belief. That's how you get to this place where you see God do not only the things he's done, but even greater things when those hands stay wide open. When we believe, when we trust, when we wholly depend on him and not on ourselves, our own abilities, our own gifts, our own prejudices, our own fears, our own ideas of how things should work or not work in our life. And we just open those hands and we forcibly leave them open so that God can do what only he can do. Here's the deal, guys. 
I've seen a lot in my life. God's allowed me to, to minister and serve all over the world. And, and for whatever reason, God's decided to give us favor wherever we've gone. God's done some incredible things. But I've come to a point in my life where I say, that's not enough. I want more. Not because I'm anything. I, I'm nothing. I, I, even if we did it all together, you guys, and, and you know, even got the, the bulldog up here, even if we all did it together, that's not enough. We want more. Where does that more come from? Well, do y'all need to, to dig deeper in your pockets? Is that, is that what Jesus is talking about? Y'all need to work harder and show up earlier? Is that what Jesus, Jesus is talking about? No. Jesus wants you to get to a point right here. Jesus wants you to get to a point right here where you just open those hands. And you leave them open. And every time you want to clench that fist right back, you want to hold on to something you already got, you think, you think you already got, you pry that hand right back open. And you say, Jesus, I believe. You remember what Jesus said just a few chapters before this one? He's walking up to, to, to raise his, his buddy Lazarus back from the dead. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they kind of meet him along the way and they're kind of jabbering at him and slowing him down and, and trying to hold him back and make excuses for the whole thing. And he finally stops. He says, listen, did I not tell you? Well, you hate to hear Jesus say that to you. I know what that meant when my mom would start a sentence like that. Didn't I tell you, David? Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God? Folks, that's what I want to see. I'm tired of only seeing what you and I can do with a little bit of money in our pockets, a little bit of strength we still have left, the, 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 the butts we have in the seats. I want more. That only comes when we believe. In 2019, God wants to do greater things. He will not do it with the knowers. He cannot do it with the seers. He will do it with those who believe. Who will join me? who will join me. Father God, you are an incredible God. You have every option in the world. Why you've chosen to go with me, why you've chosen to go with us, Lord, is a great mystery. We are not worthy. We are not promising. We show no opportunity to, see, to do the things you've called us to do. Apparently, God, you choose people like us because you love to show off what you can do. Jesus, what you can do when an ordinary person just opens their fists and says, I believe. Jesus, we're praying here this morning open-fisted, open-handed, telling you, we believe. Amen.